Our scripture reading this morning comes from Galatians 5 and also 1 Corinthians 13. We'll read from Galatians 5 first, which you can find on um, page 975 in your pew Bible. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And now from 1 Corinthians 13, 1-8. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, we thank You that You are a God who has not left us in the dark, but You have given us Your Word as a light unto our path. And we pray this morning as we prepare to sit beneath Your Word that we would hear Your voice clearly, Um, that the same voice that called the universe into being, the same voice that with when Your Son walked this this earth, uh, He spoke into the tombs and the dead were made to rise and to the blind and they were made to see, the deaf and they were made to hear. He spoke to the lame and they were made to walk. Father, we pray that we would hear Your voice with that same power this morning, that we would have confidence that when You speak, You call things into existence. When You speak, You heal. When You speak, You bring conviction of sin and conviction of righteousness that can only be found in Your Son. So we pray this morning that You would help us to hear Your Word, that You would apply Your Word to our lives so that we might be reminded this morning that we are all far more broken than we could possibly imagine, but because of Jesus, we are also at the same time far more loved and far more accepted, far more approved of and secure than we could have ever dreamed possible. Father, we pray that you would take us to this good news in Jesus and transform us with it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And the children ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to Children's Church. If you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, you'll be taken to your class. For the rest of us, um, 
We've been going through Paul's letter to the Galatians on Sunday mornings, and um, but now we've slowed down and we're focusing on the fruit of the Spirit that Paul described in Galatians chapter 5. Um, it, we've slowed down so that we can dig deep here um, and understand what Paul was saying when he described to us this fruit of the Spirit. And the first word that Paul used to describe this fruit of the Spirit was love. Uh, love. You know, we sing songs about it. Uh, we watch movies about it. Um, we talk about it with our friends. We argue with our spouses about how it's expressed. Um, we try to show it to our children, um, and most of us worry about whether we're doing a good job of that or not. Um, we instinctively know Love's power, love's power to fill with confidence and security, but we also know that the absence of love uh, can cripple us um, and haunt us. We dream about love for ourselves, right? Um, we hope for it. We read stories about it that kindles our, uh, our desire for love in our lives. We desperately want love. But here's the thing, not just to be loved. But we also desire to show love um, and to give it. We can't survive without love. And we know that we are only fully human, right, when we're not just receiving love, but when we're also giving love. Uh, we were built for love. Uh, we didn't read it, but the last verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where Paul wrote that these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And then he said, but the greatest of these is love. But what is love? What is this thing we're so hungering for, this thing that we so desire to have in our lives, this thing that we need to show? Um, throughout the Bible, we're, we're called to experience it, we're called to receive and to rest in God's love. We're commanded to love God and to love one another. Uh, we're called to practice it and, and, and show love. Um, you know, the Bible gives us a lot of stories that illustrate love, um, but the Bible very rarely attempts to define or describe love for us. And that's what makes this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 unique. Because here Paul was attempting to define love, um, to describe it. And so I want us to work through this passage this morning to define love in four points. Um, first, that love is sacrificial service. And then second, that love is costly forgiveness. And third, love is enduring consistency. And then fourth, that love is a person, right? So love is sacrificial service, costly forgiveness, enduring consistency. And finally, love is a person. So first, love is sacrificial service. Love isn't turned inward on yourself. Love is being focused outward on others. Love is other-centered, right? It, it, love sacrificially moves to serve others. Um, if you just think through the first words and phrases that Paul used to define love in verses 4 through 5, I think you'll see this. He says, love is patient. 
I mean, love sacrificially suffers with and for others. Love is so radically other-centered, Paul is saying. Uh, it's so radically other-centered and sacrificial love that love embraces, that it endures pain and, um, and, and endures discomfort on behalf of others. Paul says love is kind, and then later on he says love is not rude. I mean, love, he's saying, is being considerate, uh, completely considerate and respectful of others. Love seeks to serve others with gentleness and mercy and real, genuine concern for others. Uh, Then he says love does not envy. You know what envy is, right? Uh, Envy is all about desires and desires for self. Envy desires the gifts, the talents, um, the praise, the things that that others have. The opposite of envy isn't, it doesn't matter to me. Um, When Paul wrote that love does not envy, he wasn't saying love doesn't desire. He was saying that love is so other-centered and so sacrificially service-oriented that love desires and seeks the best for others, that love wants others to succeed, that love desires for others to have and to be happy. And then love doesn't boast, uh, and it isn't arrogant. Love doesn't seek the glory for self, but for others, right? It wants others to be praised. It wants others to shine. Love sacrificially gives up the spotlight for others. Love doesn't gossip in the office or use innuendo about others in order to knock others down in order to improve our own self-image. And finally, this summarizing statement that Paul has, love does not insist on its own way. Or you might have a translation that reads, love is not self-seeking, right? See, love, Paul is saying, love defers, right? Love isn't grasping to get, but love is anxious to give. It defers to the interests and to the concerns and to the cares and to the needs of others. It's sacrificially service-oriented. And see, when we start to hear these things, and we could come up with a lot more things to describe the love that Paul is talking about here that's uh, sacrificially service-oriented, but when we begin to hear that and it begins to sink into us, um, we start to feel a little claustrophobic if we're paying attention. Like the room is starting to get a little bit small, and we feel trapped. And it's because in our individualism, Right? We have defined freedom as independence. I'm only free when there are no demands placed on me, when there are no restrictions and there are no constraints and there are no obligations. I'm only free when I'm free to do what I want to do. Um, and sacrificial service, if we're hearing it rightly, is a loss of independence. It's putting someone else's desires and needs and concerns and cares before your own. Right? We hear that and we begin to feel trapped by this idea. Be, to lose our independence feels as if we're, we must be also losing our freedom. But I want to, you to think about this. The Bible really does push hard back against that idea. And the Bible tells you that it's really independence and love that are in direct opposition to one another. Um, but love and freedom are perfectly compatible. Right, Love and freedom go hand in hand with one another. To embrace sacrificial service in your life is to embrace freedom. 
In the old movie, this so dates me, but uh, the first night, Richard Gere, um, long, long time ago, um, it was set in the context of uh, King Arthur and his court, right, uh, and that legend. And there's this one scene, and in this scene, the knights, they're assembled around the King Arthur's famous round table. And in this scene, the camera kind of comes in from above, and it starts moving down towards the table. And as it gets closer to the table, an inscription on the table becomes visible, and, and, and it comes into focus, and you can read this inscription. And the inscription on that famous round table, this table that was round because everybody at the table had equal status. This is what that inscription said. It said, in serving one another, we become free. See, when we've defined freedom as independence, we naturally feel trapped by this call to demanding sacrificial service. But the real trap and the real slavery that the Bible sees is our self-centeredness. That is the real trap, and that is the real slavery, because that always turns us anxious, and it turns us needy, and it turns us bitter and paranoid and insecure, and we're living to get rather than give. It's in serving that we become free. It's in serving one another that we become free. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9 that if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he wasn't kidding, right? We find freedom in sacrificial service. We only find out who we are and what we were meant to be when we move out into the world in sacrificial service. There's this principle at the heart of the universe that the way to freedom and lasting fulfillment in life is not in getting, but in giving. You must lose your life. In order to find your life, Jesus says, the more you hoard, the more you seal yourself off from sacrificial service of others, the more you seek to exist in life with self-preservation as your goal, the more you live for yourself, the less you always have. And I'm asking the question, what about us? We need to move on, but is love like this growing and blossoming in your life? Is, it, is love in your life moving out in sacrificial service of others? Okay, second, I want us to see that love is costly forgiveness. Love meets brokenness. Love responds to injury. Love reacts to disappointment and hurt in our lives with costly forgiveness. Love meets sin with grace. Look, you can see how Paul defined love in this way in verses 5 and 6. He said, love is not irritable, right? That is, it's not easily provoked to anger. Love is quick to show grace and quick to show mercy. It's quick to practice costly forgiveness, and it's slow to anger. This kind of love, you don't have to tiptoe around this kind of love, right? And then he says, love is not resentful, or your translation might say something like, love keeps no record of wrongs. Hurt and disappointed, love doesn't say, I'll never trust her again, or I'll never speak with her again. Betrayed and injured, love doesn't hold uh, past sins over people's heads in order to shame them, in order to manipulate them. Love doesn't respond to brokenness with a cold shoulder, but with costly forgiveness that turns around and sets people free. 
Look, then Paul wrote, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, right? But rejoices with the truth. And this is this, this is a tricky little phrase to interpret, but this is what I think it means. Love doesn't enjoy seeing others stumble and fall and fail. And see, we often take pleasure, secret pleasure though, in seeing others stumble and fall because it makes us feel better about ourselves. At least we're not like that. Or maybe we think he had it coming. I'm glad he's getting what he deserved. But but love isn't insecure like that, right? Love longs for redemption for others. Love longs to see others restored and built up. Love moves towards costly forgiveness and setting people free, not towards making others pay. Um, I was a a biology major in college. Um, I still don't know why, but I was. But the worst class that I had to take um, as a biology major was microbiology, um, where you had to use microscopes to see bacteria and viruses and fungus and stuff like that. And I remember in this class in the lab where we would take these Q-tips and we would maybe like swab the top of a counter or swab this, you know, a piece of raw chicken or something like that. And then we would take that same Q-tip and we would swab it into these Petri dishes and we would leave it for a day or two and then come back for uh, our lab. And, um, it, I mean, it was just, it was so disgusting. <laughs> it, was, it was so gross to see the way that bacteria and that junk would just reproduce like crazy. Um, you know, 20 years later, and you can ask my wife about this, I still can't eat leftovers because I know what happens <laughs> over time. <laughs> Things grow, right? Um, the, but listen, here's what I want to say to you. Every relationship in your life involves some risk, right? Relationships open us up, and they make us vulnerable to hurt and to pain and disappointment. And it's unavoidable because every relationship deals with the problem of sin. But like a microscope, the closer you get, the deeper your relationships are, the more brokenness you will see. The, the more you will be exposed to, the closer you get, the more risk of hurt, betrayal, injury, and pain. And God built us for relationships. And God calls us into deep relationships with one another. He calls us to move close to one another. See, I love the realism of this passage, right? In this definition of love. Because Paul is saying love doesn't ignore or pretend that sin and brokenness isn't there. Love sees the brokenness more clearly. And the deeper the relationship, the more of it that love sees. The more vulnerable love becomes. But he's saying this, when love sees that brokenness and that sin, love is quick to respond with grace. Love is quick to meet brokenness and injury with mercy. Love embraces the costly reality of forgiveness. I remember a uh, counselor once saying about marriage that if you aren't inconveniencing one another and if you're not hurting one another and being hurt by one another, then you're probably doing marriage wrong Um, because that's what happens in a close relationship, in an intimate relationship. The closer we get, the more brokenness we're exposed to. But it's in that environment, Paul is saying, It's in that soil that love 
costly forgiveness blossoms and blooms. Are you growing in that direction? Are you becoming more forgiving in your life? Um, Let's move on briefly to consider our third point, because I want to save enough time to get to this fourth point. Um, So third, love is enduring consistency. In our translation, verse 7 read that love bears all things, right? Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And it's a pretty wooden, literal translation of the Greek. But I think what Paul is communicating is better reflected in some of the older versions that say love always protects It always believes or trusts or always hopes and always endures. One of the things that we have to wrestle with in life is this. We tend to think of love primarily as a feeling. And the problem is this. I can't think of a single place in the Bible that talks about love as a feeling. The Bible describes love as a motive, which is very different from feeling. The Bible describes love as an action, but never as a feeling. Look, see, when you think love is a feeling, or when I think love is a feeling, we say things like, I just couldn't help it. We fell in love, or we just fell out of love, kind of like I was walking along and I tripped and I I fell into it or I fell out of it. Like it's something beyond our control, right? Um, and, and listen, this, the last point that we had about love being costly forgiveness, it, it should have made this clear, but love isn't primarily a warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Paul was writing this to say that love has teeth. Love really digs in. Love stays even when you feel like running. Love is not a feeling. Love is a verb, Things will get hard in your life. There will be disappointment. There will be hurt. And life is hard. And life is broken. But love stays, he's saying. Love is faithful. Love is enduring consistency. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always endures. And then the beginning of verse 8, he says, love never fails, right? Love doesn't give up on other people in your life. Right? Love isn't a feeling that rises and falls with the, the ebbs and flows of your, your emotions. It's consistent. Love can be counted on no matter what, through thick and thin. Three or four weeks ago, I shared with you um, the story of Cleve McCleary. Um, McCleary. He was a Vietnam War veteran who was terribly injured in a firefight, and he lost in this battle. He lost an arm, a leg, and an eye, and he was burned so badly that he had to have skin grafts over 80% of his body. And when he returned home, he returned home with 55 other men who had been married before they went to Vietnam. And these men were now coming home in a similar condition, terribly injured. And um, anyway, I told you the whole story, but there was this, um, this staggering statistic that came out of this group of men that returned, these 55 men. And it was that 48 out of 55 of these men's wives divorced their husbands. They saw the difficulty that laid ahead, right? They envisioned the long struggle that was before them. They saw the sacrifice. They saw the unbelievably demanding challenges, and they left their husbands. And part of Cleve McClary's story was that his wife chose to stay with him. And at one point, uh, someone asked her, 
why did you stay with him when all these others left, when they saw this difficulty? And uh, her answer was simply this, I stayed with him because Jesus stayed with me, right? In, in our lives, we are all, we want permanence in our lives. We want something that will last, and there are countless illustrations of this search in our lives for something that's immovable, something that's unshakable, something that we can count on, and something that will last in our lives, um, something that's not temporary or fleeting. But the strongest desire that we have is a desire for this, a love that would be enduringly consistent, that we would be seen and known but never abandoned, and that we would never be rejected, and that we would never be given up on. To be loved like that could transform us and give us the confidence and security that only love can give. And Cleve McClary's wife showed him that kind of enduring, consistent love, and it was enduring, enduringly consistent love. That was a hard word to say. Um, that loved him back to life and transformed him and changed him. But listen, I do want you to hear this as we prepare to go into this last point. The resource for that kind of love was not herself, not Cleve McClary's wife. She found a resource for that kind of enduring, consistent love in having, it, in having experienced enduring, consistent love like that, which brings me to the final point, and that is that love is a person. Look, look, we've said some, I think, good practical things this morning. This is what love is, and we could have said much more, but there's some very practical application for us in this, that love is sacrificial service and costly forgiveness and enduring consistency. But without this last point, you will never find the power to do any of the first three points. Look, so think with me about why Paul decided to define love for the Corinthians. See, most of the time, these verses get completely lifted out of context, and they get written in calligraphy and framed and put in our homes, and people read them at their, uh, their weddings and those kind of things, as if Paul was just musing abstractly um, about love, uh, this concept of love. But that's not at all what Paul was doing here. Um, and, that's, and listen, I want to give you two reasons here that this definition of love that we get in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a definition of a person and not an abstract definition of love. And the first is this, is that Paul was writing to real people living in the city of Corinth. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And sometimes we hear people say uh, things like, oh, if we could just get back to New Testament, you know, the early church, you know, kind of stuff, that's what we need. Um, if ever there was an argument against wanting to do that, it would have been the church at Corinth. Um, this was a severely messed up church with all kinds of abuse and immorality and division and idolatry. You just read through the letter sometime. And when you read through the letter, you'll realize that when you get to these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you'll realize that these verses are in fact a rebuke of the Corinthians. Because what Paul was really saying was this, this is what love is. And these are all the things you are not. He's saying you are rude, you are impatient, you are unkind, you are arrogant, you are unforgiving, you are bitter and inconsistent with one another. 
If you're following me here, Paul wrote verses uh, 4 through 8 to say that they were not living in love with one another. What they weren't. But it was in verses 1 through 3 that Paul told them what they were. Right? Many of them, he was saying, were gifted and talented and brilliant and inspirational and successful. The tongues and prophecies were these unique abilities and gifts that people had um, that Paul mentioned in verse 1, right? And this ability to understand all mysteries um, and all knowledge. That he was saying, you're brilliant theologians. You've got all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. Faith to move mountains. They had a visionary, right, and inspiring faith. They were giving to the poor. They were involved on the front lines of social justice in their culture. They were willing to die and surrender their bodies to the flames for their convictions. I mean, that's real moral fortitude and sacrifice. And Paul was saying, you can do all of that. You can be all of that and not have love. And if you don't have love, he's saying, it's worthless. It's worthless to God. It's worthless in your life. See, if you aren't this kind of person, patient, kind, humble, not envying or boastful, forgiving, not resentful, consistently faithful, then all your giving and all your theologically correct arguments, even your death counts for nothing if you're not that. Love is a person. It's not, this isn't abstract musings. Are you this kind of person? That Paul is writing about? Are you becoming this kind of person? Are you even growing in to becoming someone like this and in this direction? So that's one reason these verses aren't an abstraction, but that a definition of a person. But second, Paul's entire definition of love in these verses is personified. See, this isn't a Webster's uh, dictionary definition of love. Paul has personified this definition. He says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not easily angered. So here's what the scholar David Pryor wrote about these verses. He wrote, It is not coincidental that these four verses perfectly describe the character of Jesus himself and of nobody else. This becomes clear when we substitute Jesus for love in this passage. Love is a person. Right now, follow me here. You can only become a person like we've been describing. You can only be growing into this kind of person when you have been loved like this in your life. Look, only out of a deep reservoir of love, an experience of it in your life, can you really move outwards to show love to others. The insecurity, anxiety, the insecure anxiety and fear in your life uh, that, that thinks you, you'll be missing out, right? It has to be killed in your life in order for you to become a servant of others. The insecure self-righteousness in your life that keeps a record of wrongs, that has to be completely destroyed before you are free to show costly forgiveness to others who have hurt you. That insecure need for approval in your life, it has to be broken. The chains of it have to be broken if you will ever be able to stay in faithfulness, even when you feel like running in your life. See, ultimately, I I think the scholar was right, that Paul has personified this definition of love because he's thinking about Jesus when he writes this. He was thinking of the Son of Man who came not to be served, 
but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Sacrificial service. He's thinking of the Messiah who is betrayed and abandoned to die on a cross and from the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Costly forgiveness. He was thinking of Jesus who rose victorious over death and told his followers this, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Enduring consistency. Through the cross and the empty grave, Jesus came to kill death and to destroy destruction and to break brokenness in our lives. He came to do all of this for you. He came to love you back to life. He came to conquer your insecurity and give you a security that can never be taken away, that's untouchable and unmovable and unshakable. And when you begin to understand and believe that Jesus came to sacrificially serve you, to show you costly forgiveness, to love you with an enduring consistency, that, that is what will love you back to life. That's what will begin to change you from the inside out. That's what will begin to make you into this kind of person that Paul describes. That's the kind of love that will shape you and transform you to be more like Jesus. So that living out of a deep reservoir of his love, you can move out into the world in sacrificial service. You can show costly forgiveness to those around you. And you can love one another with enduring consistency in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we pray for the help and the power of your spirit to take this word and to write it upon our hearts. Father, we pray that we would hear this word the way it was meant to be heard, the way every page of scripture was meant to be heard, drawing us to Look upon Jesus, the one who fulfilled these verses, the one who was these verses to us and is these verses to us. And Father, we pray that you would give to us an experience of your deep, great love for us in order that we would be changed, in order that we would begin to become more fully human, people who have experienced the love we were made to experience, but also people who are set free to show love like this to those around us. Father, we pray that you would do this for your glory, but certainly also for our good. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.